Hello, I'm Vaughn Monroe. And this is the Wireless Wizard Remote Control made by RCA Victor. It's the most convenient remote control you can buy for a black and white TV because it's a full function remote. Look, it changes channels from any spot in the room. It also lets you select any volume, moves the sound both up and down in gentle steps. But the feature that really makes it the finest remote is this. It turns your set completely off. With most others, they'll turn your picture off, sure. But because something always remains on, you still have to get up to turn off your set. Get the RCA Victor Wireless Wizard. It's the most convenient full function remote that you can buy for black and white television. RCA, the most trusted name in television. Hey everybody, welcome to Hope. My name is Scott Raines, I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm really excited about a new message series we are kicking off today. It was back in 2019, Hope was getting ready to celebrate their 25th birthday as a church, and part of the celebration, we pulled together a vision team. It was made up of pastors and staff members and congregation members from all of uh, the Hope campuses, and they spent several months talking and dreaming and praying and listening what is it that God wants us to be about for the next decade of ministry? And kind of all of that work culminated in what we call Hope's 10 for 10 vision. Uh, 10 big goals for the next 10 years of ministry through the decade of the 2020s. And so through this series, we're going to look at each of these goals. We're going to talk about them, explain them. I think most importantly, we're going to ask you to be thinking about and praying about and talking about how might God be calling you to help us meet these goals. So each of the goals has a title and then there's a, an activity connected to each of the goals. So goal number one we'll talk about today is evangelists. Uh, turn to somebody close to you and say, it's really nice to be sitting next to an evangelist this morning. Yeah, you didn't even know. Not a televangelist, just an evangelist. Anyway, um, the activity of evangelists for this goal is to broadcast the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ to 10 million people by the end of the decade. So if you were at Hope Ankeny for Christmas Eve services, and more than 4,800 of you were, we're praising God for that, we're praising God for over 50,000 people across all of Hope's campuses and online who uh, worshiped with us as we celebrated the birth of Jesus. Here, at, yeah, thank you, we are praising God, good, okay, I was... I was worried that it was only me. Um, we're excited about this. Here at Hope Ankeny at Christmas Eve, you heard me repeat a phrase over and over, faith comes from hearing. It comes right from our Bible reading uh, for, for today from Romans chapter 10. Faith comes from hearing. What I want to talk about today, how do people hear things these days in the year 2024? How do we hear things and then what does that mean for us as we turn into a church of evangelists. The video we watched at the beginning of the message was a TV commercial from the 1960s. Vaughn Monroe is the voice of RCA Victor. He, he was actually a singer, a baritone, and he had his own orchestra, the Vaughn Monroe Orchestra. If you watched the classic Christmas movie Die Hard this Christmas season, you would have heard Vaughn Monroe and his orchestra singing, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. So as we get started, I want a little bit of congregation participation. It'll be pretty easy because it's still early in the morning. Uh, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand if this is true of you. So raise your hand if you remember a time when you did not have a television in your house. Anybody remember a time? No TV? Oh, there's six of us. Okay. 
Perfect. Uh, how about r raise your hand if you remember the first time you brought a TV home into your house. More of you remember that. Uh, raise your hand if you remember the only TV in the house was a black and white television. Yeah, there's a lot of us. And uh, raise your hand if you remember being the remote control. Yeah, you had to, you didn't get the fancy remote that Vaughn Monroe was from. You had to get up and go to the console and turn the channels and fix the antenna and all, all that sort of thing. I, I was remembering 1985, the spring of 1985 is when we got our first color television at our house. And I remember it because the first thing we watched was the final four. It was Villanova against Memphis State, and Villanova won, coached by Raleigh Massimino, and they went on to win the national championship and upset Georgetown. We didn't have cable, we just had the four channels. We lived in north central Iowa, so it was channel five, channel eight, channel 11 for PBS, and channel uh, 13. But if the barometric pressure was just right, we could get the antennas to pick up channel three from Mason City, or seven from Waterloo, or nine from uh, Cedar Rapids, and they all had the same thing on that the other stations had, so it was no big deal. Um, <laughs> I do remember the first time I watched cable television. I was at my friend Brooks Moran's house, and they had cable, so it was the first time I saw a music video on MTV, back when they still played music videos on MTV. And then uh, we stayed up late, and at 9 o'clock we got to watch the Oakland A's play a baseball game. It was fantastic. I couldn't believe it. It was a real short period of time that we went from four channels to hundreds of channels. Uh, we had cable television. Remember the, when the dishes first came out? They were like these massive satellite dishes and people, whatever happened to those things, I wonder. Um, anyway, uh, it didn't take too long to where all of these channels and the price just went up and up and up. And then people got fed up of this massive, you know, monthly subscription to all this. So then cord cutting, the last decade or so, cord cutting has been happening. I only want to pay for the channels I watch. And so that's when the streaming services, and look at this, in the last 15 years or so, the streaming service has just exploded. Now people who were cord cutters are spending just as much money on all of the different you know, streaming services they have. Anyway, you could do something similar when it comes to email and, and the internet. You remember the first time you sent an email? Remember the first time you heard a dial-up modem, that horrible sound as you know, you're trying to get on? So. The, the first church I worked at in Des Moines, we didn't have internet when I started working there, but uh, we got it after a year or two. And to train us, we went downtown, uh, a member of the church had a big office downtown, a bunch of computers, and they, they showed us how to navigate the World Wide Web using the Netscape browser. You remember that sucker? And the most exciting thing for me that day... Uh, there was, you, could, you could find a website that had the stream, a live stream of the traffic cameras of Seattle, Washington. I was like, oh, wow, this is so cool. And it wasn't cool. Anyway, uh, Forbes says, uh, Forbes magazine, there's 1.13 billion websites in the world today. 82% of them are not active. So there's only 200 million uh, active websites. And, and why does all this matter? Remember, we're, we're exploring the question, how do people hear things in the year 2024? How do people hear things today? Faith comes from hearing the good news about Jesus. Uh, the regular rhythm of my week, Thursday, is sermon writing day. So this last Thursday, uh, Thursday morning, I'm sitting down and I'm working on writing this message. And around 9 o'clock, I start to hear a lot of noise and buzzing from my cell phone. And I looked over and it was my colleagues wondering if everyone had heard about what's happening in Perry and start praying for Perry. And 
that sort of thing. So I, I got on Twitter. I know it's not called Twitter anymore, but I think I'm still reading tweets and sending tweets, so I'm just going to call it Twitter. And they weren't talking a whole lot about Perry on Twitter, so I opened up my Hulu live streaming TV app to see what are the local TV stations saying about it. I wanted to hear more about this developing story. Faith comes from hearing the good news, Paul writes, but we have to be honest, a lot of the news we hear is not good news. There's a TV series called The Chosen. You can stream that. It tells the story of Jesus and his 12 disciples. In season two, episode two of The Chosen, uh, we get the story of how Nathaniel becomes one of Jesus' disciples. Uh, the episode begins with Nathaniel at work. Um, I don't know that there's any historical proof to this, but they have him as an architect and he's designing uh, a synagogue and at work one day, Nathaniel gets some bad news. He hears some bad news. Take a look. I need the seawater for the cement leontes. It will take three days. You can't stop construction for three days. Is it because I'm Jewish? <laughs> no, Nathaniel, it's not because you're Jewish. I've been telling you, and anyone I can get to listen. I even told the prim. I need that salt water or the cement won't set to full strength. Seawater's heavy. It's hard to move. Understand? Plans are hard to draw, bedrock hard to reach. It's all hard. But your incompetence is making it harder. Careful. Hey, I'm just telling it like it is. Three days, Nathaniel. You're in no position to make demands. You're lucky enough to have That's this job. That's why I have to demand what I need, Leontis. Do you know how hard I've worked to earn a Roman commission as a Jew? You're a child that skipped the line. The men don't respect you for that. Skipped the line. Just because I was smart enough to go to school instead of getting mud. Twenty men show up every day. Who cares what they think? I care. They need to share a vision. They need to each do their jobs. The day laborer, the craftsman, the foreman, and the architect. Yes. In concert with me. Who do you think you are? I am the foreman here. You think that if everyone would just do it your way, that it will all turn out? I do. Well, people have their own ideas. things I wanted to be sure you heard on Christmas Eve is that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Jesus is the source of peace, that in the midst of a world where we hear all kinds of bad news, Jesus still has the power to guide us on the path to peace. In John chapter 13, Jesus and his chosen disciples are celebrating uh, the Passover meal. The Passover meal, part of the um, annual traditions and worship experiences of the people of Israel. It's where they remember the saving work of God, rescuing God's people from slavery in Egypt and getting them uh, to freedom in the promised land. And Jesus, as he's celebrating this meal in John 13, he, he turns it into God's saving plan, God's saving work, not just for the nation of Israel, but for all people through the body and, and blood of God's son, Jesus Christ. We'll, we'll celebrate communion at the end of this service. But during that meal, through the course of that meal, 
Jesus says some things and his disciples hear him saying some bad news. They hear Jesus say that one of them is going to betray him. They hear Jesus predict his death. By the time you get to the end of John chapter 13, the disciples are very troubled. So you turn the page to John chapter 14, and the first thing Jesus says to his troubled disciples is, stop it. Don't let your hearts be troubled. This actually troubles the disciples when he says this to them. They're, they're very confused by this. They don't quite understand what's going on. I was thinking about it. If uh, 9 o'clock on Thursday morning when I first heard about Perry, I had posted this on social media, I'm not sure that would have gone over very well. Why does Jesus think this is the right time? In the midst of hearing troubling news, worrisome news, scary news, why does Jesus think this is the right time to say to my disciples, don't let your hearts be troubled, trust in God? As you keep reading through John 14, Jesus reminds the disciples who he is. I am the way and the truth and the life, he says. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen God, Jesus says. You keep working your way through John 14, and he reminds them he's the Prince of Peace, he's the source of peace, and and in this chapter, he's guiding them on the path to peace. We get to verse 27, we'll put it up on the screen, and let's read this out loud together. Read it with me. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give, so don't be troubled or afraid. This is a message our world needs to hear. God has a gift for you. And the gift is the gift of eternal life. Eternal life, which means the very best kind of life right now on this earth and life that never ends even after our earthly death. Eternal life is a gift that's available to us because God loves us. Eternal life means every day of my life, every day from now until forever, every moment, I can live with an assurance that there is a God and God loves me. That God created me out of love. God created you out of love so you could experience God's love, so that you could share God's love with the world around you. And God's love for you is a perfect love. And part of what that means is God's love does not demand perfection from you. God's love is full of forgiveness. God's love is full of grace. God's love is what actually compels us to change, to grow, to be transformed, and to become the, the people that God created us to be. And it's all because of love, this gift of eternal life. And when we trust this, it can fill our hearts, it can fill our minds with peace. But we've got to keep it real. When we hear bad news, it's really difficult to trust in God's love, isn't it? When we hear bad news, it disturbs our peace. And maybe that's where some of you are today. Maybe you've heard some bad news recently that has disturbed your peace that's making it difficult for you to trust God's love. Maybe it's the bad news connected to a local school shooting. Maybe it's other kinds of bad news. Medical diagnoses, stress around job or losing a job. Maybe it's relational stuff that's going on that is bad news, breakups, relationships coming to an end or relationships that are just kind of stuck. Nathaniel, here's this bad news that he's lost his job. He was designing a synagogue. I'm doing it for God, doing it for you. And his dream comes crashing down. And he leaves the village and he goes kind of into the wilderness and he sits down underneath a fig tree 
he wants to have faith. He's trying to trust that God loves him, but he's having a real difficult time believing it. Take a look. Blessed are you. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe. Here is Raya, the Lord is one God. The Lord is one. Not my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. not hide your face from me. Do you see me? Do you see me? Nathaniel's trying really hard to hold on to his faith and to continue to trust God in the midst of this bad news that he hears. He's actually praying a traditional Hebrew prayer called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He's crying out to God using the words of Psalm 102. Don't hide your face from me. Answer me in my distress. I think we've all been there. Uh, maybe some of you have been there this week. Maybe some of you are there right now. Your heart is troubled. Your mind is overwhelmed. You're not at peace. God has a gift for you. And in John 14, Jesus makes it really clear this gift comes through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we get a little weirded out when we start talking about the Holy Spirit. All you need to know about the Holy Spirit is Romans 5, verse 5. It's on the screen. Read it out loud with me. God has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. One more time. God has given us the Holy Spirit 
to fill our hearts with his love. This is the beginning and ending place. Anytime we're talking about what, what's the role of the Holy Spirit, what's the Holy Spirit do? It's, the, it's about becoming people who understand that God loves us. And the Holy Spirit helps then change us and transform us into people who are filled with God's love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. And as our world gets filled with more and more people who are filled with and fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit, our world starts to be characterized by more love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I don't know about you, that's the kind of world I'd like to live in. A church as big as hope, it's not really a surprise that one of the victims of the shooting in Perry is a hope family. And so as we've been caring for that family and, and praying for them, uh, yesterday before services, we reached out and we just asked, is there anything you'd like your church family to know? And, and they said, make sure that the church knows we feel your prayers. We, we hear them. They matter. They make a difference. Their son is recovering, but it's a, a long road to recovery. So continue to pray for everyone who is impacted by that in all sorts of ways. But here's the part of what they asked us to share with uh, the church that stood out to me most. They said, pray for the family of the shooter. Pray for the Butler family. More love, more joy, more peace, more patience, more kindness, more goodness, more faithfulness, more gentleness, more self-control. I, I want to be someone who's bringing that into this world. I want to be a part of a community. I want to be a part of a church that's bringing that into this world. It's who we are as a church. It's who we are at Hope, and it's a big part of the message that we want people to hear. Faith comes from hearing the good news about Jesus. One of the primary ways that people hear these days is through digital resources. I, I'm guessing many of you are familiar with Seth Godin. Uh, he's written 20 best-selling books. He's a leading thinker on you know, marketing and business as we move into a more digital future. Uh, in 2019, when we were putting together the 10 for 10 Vision of Hope, Seth Godin, in one of his podcasts, was talking about something he calls carriage, and when you think of a carriage, a, a horse and carriage, you think of a carriage as what it is that transports something from here to there. And maybe it's a person getting transported from point A to point B. He says in a business sense, a carriage is what moves a product from point A to point B. It's what gets a product to a customer. So he was saying, remember back in the day uh, when we only had three or four TV channels and the Carol Burnett show was super popular, 10 million people every week tuning into the Carol Burnett show. Networks wanted to carry the Carol Burnett show because they knew there would be a lot of advertisers who wanted them to carry their products, advertise their products on that show. This is what he means when he talks about carriage in a business sense. Something similar happened when Ted Turner bought the Atlanta Braves. They didn't really have much of a, a national brand but when he bought the Braves, he started putting them on one of his cable television networks, the Superstation, TBS, and pretty soon the Braves became a national brand. We see something similar happening in college athletics these days with all the conference realignment. It's all about carriage. How do we get into the conference that's going to get us carried to the most access to uh, monetizing our product? 
Because of digital resources, there's more access to carriage today than there ever has been before. And maybe you're like, okay, great, but what does it have to do with Jesus and the church and living a life of faith? Well, isn't carriage what Paul is talking about in our Bible reading in Romans chapter 10? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, Paul writes, which just stop there. That's pretty good news. No hoops to jump through. You just call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless somebody tells them? This is a picture of carriage. Our goal is to tell 10 million because the more we tell, the more can hear. And the more who hear, the more can believe. And the more who believe, the more who will call on the name of the Lord and be saved. This is it gets right to the mission that we have as a church. It's been our mission from the very beginning to reach out to the world around us and share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. Can we all say that together? I think we'll put it up on the screen uh, next slide. Now, if you don't know it, now you know it. Let's say it together. Reach out to the world around us and share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. Today at 1230, we're going to have a new member class. And at the new member class, we teach through the mission and vision of hope. We teach through Lutheran theological distinctives. Uh, we teach through expectations of memberships. One of the things that I like to ask people who are considering becoming members of Hope to think about is this statement on the bottom of the screen. So I'm going to ask you to think about it right now. The gravitational pull of every church is toward keeping people rather than reaching people. The gravitational pull, in other words, there's a temptation for every church because every church is made up of human beings and human beings are by nature self-centered. The gravitational pull of every church is toward keeping people rather than reaching people. And you can find all kinds of statistics about the decline of church in America, how church attendance is in massive decline and church membership is in massive decline and churches are closing their doors in staggering numbers in our country. And there's all kinds of reasons for that, but this is one of the reasons. We forget our mission. We forget the church is supposed to be others-focused, focused outwardly rather than focused internally or inwardly. I'm going to put a chart up on the screen. This is an attempt to uh, sort of chart out a life cycle of a church. It comes from a church consulting uh, group called the Unstuck Group. Seven stages in the life cycle of a church. So uh, it begins with the launch. So Hope launched in the early 1990s. Hope Ankeny launched in 2006. After the launch, after something new, think of when a new restaurant opens or a new business opens, there's initial momentum growth because it's something new and everybody wants to check it out. Um, I, we had some momentum growth here. We, we worshiped in a school for eight years, and then in 2015, we built this permanent facility here in Ankeny. Our attendance jumped 25% the first weekend uh, we moved into this place. That's momentum growth. But if we don't have strategic growth, that number will dwindle back down. Strategic growth for a church. If you're like me and you, you apply the word strategy to church, it's a little bit like fingernails on a chalkboard. Because it feels a little bit like, are we turning the church into a business? What do you mean strategy for a church? So, just to, just to be clear, Jesus had a strategy. And we're going to talk about it in a little bit. But the strategy for a church has to be connected to the mission and vision. So our mission begins with the phrase, reach out. And our vision ends with the phrase, make heaven more crowded. 
the, the strategy for hope is connected to that. Now, there's such a thing as sustained health, but there's a real fine line here um, because it doesn't take much before you tip over the edge from kind of being in a healthy place to an unhealthy decline, slipping into maintenance mode. And, and I want to take a little bit of time just to thank you for being a church that gets this. Here's how I know you get it. All through the month of December, we were encouraging you to come to one of the eight Christmas Eve services. We were encouraging you to invite people to come to one of the eight Christmas Eve services. But we were also saying three o'clock and five o'clock on Christmas Eve historically is the sweet spot for new people, for visitors, for people who don't have a They, For whatever reason, those are the times they come to Christmas Eve services, which means those are the highest attended services. We fill up the worship center, we fill up the reservoir, and, and sometimes we even fill up the harbor, the room uh, directly below us, and just pack this place out, which is great for members of our church, because you come in and we say, no room for you in the worship center, can you please go and sit downstairs and watch it on a screen? And you're like, great, that means we're, we're reaching out, we're, we're carrying out the vision. But if you're a new person and that's your experience, it's not the best experience. And so we said, if it works for you, to not come at three or five on Christmas Eve, try one of the other six services, and you did it. It was the most evenly distributed uh, eight services we've ever had for Christmas Eve, so thank you for being that kind of church. What does it mean for us week after week on the weekends? Uh, look around you. It's pretty full in here. For whatever reason, 9.15 service is the time uh, new people come. When people are checking out Hope, they come at 9.15. So if you are someone who you can come whenever. We've got five services every weekend. You might want to think about, pray about, maybe I want to sleep in 30 minutes longer and go to the 10 o'clock service to make room for more people, to make room for new people. Not everybody has to do that. Some of you might want to do that. Does that make sense? Keep that in the back of your mind as we get closer and closer to Easter and we ask you to come to the 4.30 a.m. service, okay? <laughs> I won't be there. Uh, okay. Back to this chart. Most churches don't realize it when they've started to decline. They don't realize it when the focus has become keeping people rather than reaching people, and before they know it, they're on life support. And hope is not immune from this. So one of the questions we ask ourselves on a pretty regular basis, what are we doing to reach new people? Uh, at Hope Ankeny, three times a year, I, I ask our staff, let's come up with goals for the next, you know, trimester. And so on Tuesday at our staff meeting, we're going to be sharing those goals for the winter into spring season here at Hope Ankeny. And we're going to be praying for one another and we're going to be, how can we help each other uh, accomplish these goals? One of my goals is I want to build a team of people who are going to help us tell the story of what God's doing here at Hope Ankeny digitally. So if you're someone who loves to take pictures, if you're someone who loves to do the things that people do on their phones with their social media accounts, what is it, is it reels and stories and all kinds of and snaps and that sort of thing, if that's you, I would love to talk to you about what, what we're trying to do here. And, and again, just to be clear, our, our production team does a great job every week. They take our sermons, they take uh, the worship services, and they post them on our YouTube channel. You, you know we have a YouTube channel at Hope Banking? It's kind of cool. That's for the people who are already here. It's not really for new people. 
As for the, the people that we're all jealous of who go to Florida and uh, Arizona for January through March, and they want to stay connected uh, to what's happening here in the freezing tundra of Iowa, we're very happy for you snowbirds. Yes, we are. Uh, but they want to stay connected, and so that's what that's for. Very few new people want to watch a 40-minute sermon on YouTube. Hope Ankeny people love to come and listen to a 40-minute sermon, but you just don't want to watch it on YouTube. Anyway, to reach new people digitally, how can they hear about the stories of what God is doing? Short glimpses. Short glimpses. And so that's what we want to build a team to help us do that. But the last thing I want to say about this is just a reminder, you are the primary carriage for the message of the gospel through this church. The way we're going to get the message of Jesus connected to the world around us is through you and the people you are connected to, and face-to-face encounters. I mentioned earlier Jesus had a strategy. It's a pretty simple strategy. You can read about it in John chapter 1. Jesus uh, goes to the Jordan River to get baptized. And the day after he's baptized, he's walking by, and John the Baptist sees him, and he declares, look, there's the Lamb of God. And when John's two disciples, because John had some people who were following him, When John's two disciples heard this, they started following Jesus. Jesus builds a team of people and equips them to go out and share the story, share the message, so that more and more people hear it all the time. One of John's disciples who starts following Jesus is a guy named Philip. And Philip has a friend named Nathaniel. Philip is super excited about what Jesus is up to. And so he wants uh, to tell his friend Nathaniel about Jesus. Nathaniel, the guy we've been watching on these uh, clips from The Chosen. Nathaniel, who's having a hard time trusting and believing that God loves him. So Philip, what, what does Philip do to convince Nathaniel that Jesus is the Messiah? What is Philip's great church growth strategy? Let's read it. Come and see for yourself. Read it out loud with me. Come and see for yourself. You are a church of evangelists. This is your evangelistic strategy. You're talking with people wherever you talk with people. And the conversations go wherever the conversations go. And at some point you're able to say, you know what's been really helping me lately is my church. Hopefully it has been. What's been helping my marriage? What's been helping me with my fears and my anxieties? You know what's been really good to just gather together at church? Come and see for yourself. That's what Philip says to Nathaniel, and he trusts Jesus to do the rest. Take a look. Rabbi. Well, this is a good night. You know who stands beside you there? This is my friend, Nathaniel. Yes. The truth teller. I'm sorry? Man is often deceitful. And Israel began with Jacob, a bit of a deceiver, yes? Yes. But one of the great things about you is you are a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit. What did you say about me? What is this? 
How do you know me? I have known you long before Philip called you to come and see. Don't look at him. Look at me. When you were in your lowest moment, and you were alone, I did not turn my face from you. I saw you under the fig tree. I knew it. Well, that didn't take long. <laughs> he doesn't mess around. <laughs> because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, you believe? <laughs> <laughs> you are going to see many greater things than that. Like Jacob, you are going to see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Depending on what translation you're reading, when, when Jesus talks about the stairway to heaven, uh, some of the translations say, Jesus says to Nathaniel, I am the stairway to heaven. We sang a song at the beginning of the message, on earth as in heaven, we're about ready to pray the Lord's Prayer for God's kingdom to come and God's will to be done on earth as in heaven. How's that happen? How do, how do heaven and earth come together? Jesus says, it's through me. And my prayer is that you would have an experience like what Nathaniel just has. He meets Jesus, and in meeting Jesus, he knows God sees him. God knows him. God cares about him. God loves him, and it changes everything for him. He start, spends the rest of his life following Jesus. All because his friend Philip said, come and see for yourself. Philip's actually, he might be my favorite disciple. Uh, there's a story in Acts chapter 8 that I think is just amazing. It's after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And the disciples, the chosen, they're all, all out being evangelists, telling everybody the message uh, of Jesus. And here's uh, Acts 8, 26. As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. Uh, one of my favorite books is called The Spontaneous Expansion of the Gospel. And the premise of the book is the disciples had no idea what they were doing, which feels like good news to me, because that's how I feel most of the time. Um, we've got goals that we're going to be talking about, goals that we're setting, goals that we're going to be working on. But if an angel comes to us in a couple of weeks and says, here's what I want you to do, we'll do what the angel said. Philip is going down the road from Jerusalem to Gaza. He encounters an Ethiopian eunuch in a carriage, and the angel says to Philip, just start walking alongside that carriage. And as he does, he hears uh, this Ethiopian eunuch reading out loud from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Philip asks the eunuch, do you understand what you're reading? Does that make sense to you? And the eunuch's like, no, not at all. So he invites Philip into the carriage with him. And as they're going down the road to Gaza, Philip explains the scriptures to this guy. There's a God who loves you. And God loves you so much that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, 
not to condemn the world, but to save the world through his sacrificial death on the cross out of perfect love for you. And here's how the story ends. As they rode along, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? He ordered the carriage to stop. And they went down into the water and Philip baptized him. Baptism for Christians is simply connection to Jesus. Baptism means we're going to die to our old self, our false self, our sinful ways. Our sins, which are our thoughts and attitudes and behaviors that disconnect us from a holy God. Baptism washes away our sin, it cleanses us. And if we are united with Christ in a death like his, we will certainly be raised, we'll be united with him in a resurrection like his. Anyone who's in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. This is the promise of scripture. And one of the ways we can experience that power of God's love and that forgiveness and grace at work in our life is through the waters of baptism. And look, there's some water. Why can't you be baptized? Today, right now. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to invite you forward for communion. And as we take the bread and the cup and we remember this sacrificial love, this gift that is freely given to us, we'll also ask you to consider coming forward for baptism. Maybe you want to be baptized for uh, the first time. Or maybe you want to renew your baptism because it's a new year. And you want to get started on this new year with a clean heart, a clean slate and a reminder of the new life, the eternal life that God has for you. 